But we're going to continue our study today in the book of Isaiah. So get your Bibles out. Uh, the one thing I tried to reiterate many times in that video is that we are committed to the Word of God. Regardless of the style of music, which we saw several, we've still got uh, three decades to go. You'll get those at the end of my sermon. But, uh, but we're going to, we are committed to the truth of the Word of God. It's not me. It's not the church. It's not the leadership. Nobody gets to vote on what is truth. God's word is truth. That's what we believe. Am I right? I asked you last week, very honestly, I said, do you want me to tell you the truth or do you want me to lie to you? I'll ask you the same thing again today. You want truth? Then you best grab a seatbelt. If you don't need it, the person beside you is going to. Today may be even more painful than last week. You see, most of the prophets didn't make it out alive. Nobody ever clapped for a prophet. I guarantee it. Nobody clapped for a prophet. They all died horrible, gruesome deaths. No matter how much a few people might have loved them, how we might look back in time and revere them, in their own time, the prophet was constantly trying to pull people back to God, and all he did was anger the religious elite, always. And there's a whole valley in Jerusalem where all the prophets are buried, <clears throat> and they were all killed by God's people, quote-unquote. All right. So what we're going to look at today, I promise you, is going to hurt. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your family is. Something we're going to talk about today is going to hurt. Years ago, I was taking my daughter, my youngest daughter, to school. She was, I don't know, probably 15 at the time. And she said, she said, Dad, if you could get rid of one thing in America, what would you get rid of? And immediately, two things came to my mind. And I said, well... I said, it, first of all, it'd have to be abortion. I said, that would be the first thing to go. I said, but secondly, it would be alcohol. I said, because alcohol has destroyed more families, more marriages, more finances, more children, more lives than anything that I can think of. And see, the media constantly is showing you and showing me this idea that it's so glamorous, right? I mean, if you drink, there's horses and there's women in bikinis and there's beautiful sunsets and there's, there's nice dogs. They don't show you people laying on the street. They don't show you guys like me going in to identify bodies because the family couldn't handle it. They don't show you stuff like that. That wouldn't be tremendous marketing tools. So when Isaiah writes, he's writing to tell them that there is action that needs to take place. And the key to being a Christian and the key to being a church is that word, action. Let me take you back to the name of God. Remember when God told Moses, I am? Exodus? Anybody? Read your Bibles. Moses said, how do I know it's you? What do I tell you? He said, you tell him I am has sent you. And then we get to Jesus. He said, I'm the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That I am statement. The word means that I will be, or truly translated, the word is this, be. God is a verb. Now think about that. We're created in his image. Okay, but I'm a noun. I am a noun standing here, but who God made me to be is a verb. If I'm made in God's image and he is to be, 
He is action. He, everything about God is action. And yet we in the church think that somehow it's about inaction. It's about belief. I was talking to some friends the other day. I said, I've had arguments with people and, and I can do it. I, I went to school. Do you know what the Greek word is in Matthew 25 for feed the hungry? Listen, I got an idea for you. How about this? Feed the hungry. Do you really need to know the Greek word? I'll tell you, it's ravioli. If you really want to know, that's... All right, there, there it is. It's SpaghettiOs. Does it really matter? You see, we get caught up on the words rather than doing the action that God's called us to do. Now listen, it can be difficult. Um, earlier this week, I lost in a cornfield. Anybody ever been lost in a cornfield? Maybe you've done a, a corn maze. I'll be honest, I felt like I was being stalked. Come on, Don. It was eerie. I was amazed. Somebody said last night I should just can it. All right, Isaiah chapter 5. All right, explain it to the people around you. Please stand out of respect for God's word. Remember, prophets were not liked. The prophet's job is not to be liked. The prophet's job is to deliver the word of God, to give people truth. Then you and I are responsible with what we do. When we read Isaiah, I tell people, people say, wow, that was tough. I said, like, I didn't write it. I'm just the reporter. Isaiah was just reporting what God told him to do. So don't get mad at the messengers. Look at the truth behind what the messenger's writing. The word woe, you'll see this many times. He's not stopping a horse. It means look out. When God uses the word woe, it means you and I are in big trouble. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night until they're inflamed with wine. I see this is going to be hard to apply this in our culture, isn't it? They have harps and lyres, guitars, uh, banjos, electric guitars at their banquets, pipes and timbrels and wine. But they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of His hands. Therefore, my people will go into exile. They'll spend 70 years in Babylon, cast away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city of God, destroyed for lack of understanding because they're all drunk. Those of high rank will die of hunger, and the common people will be parched with thirst. Therefore, death expands its jaws, opening wide its mouth. Into it will descend their nobles and masses with all their brawlers and revelers. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled. But the Lord Almighty will be exalted by His justice. And the holy God will be proved holy by his righteous acts. Then sheep will graze as in their own pasture. Lambs will feed among the ruins of the rich. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness as with cart ropes. To those who say, let God hurry. Let him hasten his work so we may see it. The plan of the Holy One of Israel, let it approach. Let it come into view so that we may know it. Woe to those, we touched on this one last week, 
Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny justice to the innocent. He lifts up a banner for the distant nations. He whistles for those at the end of the earth. Here they come, swiftly and speedily. Not one of them grows tired or stumbles. Not one slumbers or sleeps. Not a belt is loosened at the waist. Not a sandal strap is broken. You can be seated. All right. First thing Isaiah says. Okay, he's writing to the nation of Israel. He said, you're about to lose everything. We're about to lose everything. Remember, the prophet's in it. He's going down with the nation. It's not like he's going to sit there because the Babylonians are going to come in and destroy all of Israel. They are going to burn Jerusalem to the ground. There will be nothing left. And Isaiah said, run away from the bottle. If you didn't see it, it's in about 10 verses there where he says, no wonder we're having such problems. The whole culture's hammered. Listen, we live in a culture. Let's just be real. They, 50 to 60% of the American adult culture is hammered all the time. Fact, look it up. Either drunk or high, 50% of our culture gives you great courage when you're driving down the road, doesn't it? Makes you feel really good. It's amazing to me the things that go on. I sat across the table one time from a, a, a good friend of mine, and he was having marriage problems. He said, Joe, I will do anything to fix my marriage and make things right with my kids. And he hardly got the last word out of his mouth, and I said, quit drinking. Because it was destroying me. It was destroying him, spending his money, his, his marriage. He was willing to do everything except that. And it did destroy everything. Another time I was down in South Florida, I was at a ball game. And some friends from church ran into me. You never know where the pastor will show up. And um, let's just say they were on their way, shall we? They were pretty well on their way. And they're like, Pastor Joe, it's so good to see you. Can we buy you a beer? And I said, No. And I wasn't mean. I mean, I didn't even say anything about them. I don't care. It's up that they're adults. They can do what they want. I said, but I would like a Diet Coke. They didn't buy me the Diet Coke. I always found this fascinating. The beer was 10 bucks. They could have bought me four Diet Cokes. I didn't get a Diet Coke. You know why? They would have paid for the beer because that would have brought me down to their level. Somehow that would have justified their behavior. Now listen... If, you, if we were out to dinner and you ordered a beer, I would not freak out. It would not bother me. All right? People say, well, you, you just don't like it. Oh, you are sadly mistaken. You are sadly mistaken. I've made a choice in my life that I can't go there. You say, well, I'm not going to go to hell if I have a drink. And I say, no, you, you won't, but somebody else might. Out up there in the lobby, there's a table for recovery. It's on Monday nights. 
And it doesn't have to be alcohol. It doesn't have to be drugs. It can be any kind of problems, hang-ups, hurts, anything you're dealing with. Celebrate recovery. And you go out there. There's Jim Provenzano's out there. You can talk to him. He leads the group. Um, but somebody's going to go, oh, I can't believe I saw Bob going to the table. Listen, can I just be, for all you know, Bob went to get a card for you. All right, so don't be, don't be judgmental. And if Bob did go for himself, you, you need to be supporting because we all know either it's me or it's somebody in my family. Nobody gets off in this life without dealing with these difficult kinds of, of stories. Let, let me explain to you how it happens in the animal world. If you don't know, when, when geese fly, you know, they fly in a V. We actually stole the B-2 bomber from, from the geese. Uh, they, they fly in a V formation. And the lead goose is out there going, and he'll fly till he gets tired. He doesn't stay out there. Eventually, he will fall back into the pack, and another goose will go up front. Because being up front is difficult. It's painful to stay up front. But you may not know this, that if a goose goes down, one of, the, one of, the, one of them gets tired, they get hurt, they go to the ground. Check this out, how God designed them. Two of the other geese will automatically go down to the ground with them. And one or two things happen. They will stay until the wounded goose either dies or he's ready to fly again. And then the three of them will get up and they will fly together to catch up with the flock. For too long, the church, when we see somebody wounded, we step on them. No, our job is to come around them and help them and support them. That's what Celebrate Recovery does. That's what the church does. After all, the whole, uh, and let's be honest, the church is a recovery center, is it not? Everybody here is in recovery of some kind. We're all recovering sinners in need of God's grace, which maybe this is the right time to say this. Listen. The action that you got to take, if you've not accepted Jesus, you can put, if you're online, you push the button says, I've decided. If you're here in the room, the sign right there, decision. I'm ready to accept Jesus. I need to repent of my sins. I need to be baptized. I got to start there. I need Jesus in my life. But then if you're a Christian, there's a lie that's been said, well, I'm a Christian, I'm good. Or I'm a Christian, all I got to do is come sit and argue about the Greek word for food. No, action is required as you make your move to accept Jesus. And action is required after you become a Christian because of what Jesus has done for you. Isaiah later on in the book, just in case you think this was isolated, Isaiah says, and, then, and these also stagger from wine and reel from beer. Check out who's involved here. Priests and prophets stagger from beer and are befuddled with wine. They reel from beer. They stagger when seeing visions. They stumble when rendering decisions. So it cuts across all groups of people. Now, <clears throat> I'll tell you what I find fascinating. All right, remember I told you you may need to put, maybe just put your hand on somebody's knee right now and hold them down. I'm amazed. I spend too much time on Facebook, and I know that. Maybe I should go to recovery. Um, but I'm amazed at how many people can't take a picture without a glass of alcohol. I mean, is it a big deal? I'm 64 years old. Hey, wait, before you snap the picture, give me that, give me that drink. Okay, now. 
I'm amazed. I do a lot of funerals too. I'm amazed. It's like, that guy hadn't taken a picture in 30 years when he wasn't holding alcohol. See, you can take a lot of pictures in, with me, and, and I drink a lot, not alcohol, but I drink a lot just because my body needs fluid. Rarely will you see me in a picture holding a Diet Coke. I drink a lot of lemonade, too. When I take pictures, I don't hold lemonade. Why is it when people take pictures for Facebook, they have to have their alcohol in their hand? I just let you think about it, all right? I'm not drawing conclusions. I just think it's a fascinating thing to think about. So it, he, Isaiah said, what's holding them back? First of all, he said, well, the whole country's drunk. No wonder you guys can't make godly decisions because you're spending most of your time hammered. How in the world can you make godly decisions? Uh, people, all right, one more statement and we'll move on. I've laid you out enough. Um, People say, well, the Bible doesn't say I can't drink. It says don't get drunk. You're right. It does. If you don't take the first drink, you'll never become a drunk. That's free. All right, the second part. He says, you need to read so that you know the difference between evil and good. Remember that verse? Verse 20. He said, woe to people when they call evil good and good, evil sweet, bitter and bitter sweet. There comes a time, Isaiah said, this is 2,700 years ago, because they quit reading the word of God. So if you listen to NBC and CBS and ABC, or pick your letters, whatever they might be, you're going to have your morality shaped by what they teach and by what they say rather than the Bible. And the message there is for us to read so that we know what truth really is. Well, how do I know what, how God feels about marriage or about sexuality or about abortion or about money or about having a marriage? How do I know? Do I watch ABC or do I read the book? I'm watching, again, on, on Facebook and, and somebody made a post and somebody always chimes in and says, you Christians are always so sure your book is right. Why don't you, why don't you give some evidence to the fact that your, your book is truth? Okay. I'll tell you what. You pick the story and I'll give you the evidence. I don't care what it is. You pick the story. I'll give you historical evidence. I'll give you archaeological evidence. Now, I can't, not every single story. But I'm going to tell you right now that half of America is going to go to hell because they were too lazy to read the truth. It's just easier to say, well, you Christians are a bunch of idiots. Rather than read the book for yourself. Well, my goodness, you don't even have to read anymore. You just hit play. Hey, is there any evidence that Isaiah ever lived? Google, 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 play. Oh, look, we've got Isaiah's name in stone. We found his name here in Jerusalem. We've got the, you name whatever you want to look for, it's out there. And hell is going to be filled with people that were too lazy to hit play. Because it's easier just to say, I'm sure there was no God. You know why? Because if there's a God and if Jesus is who he claimed to be, then you are now in a position where you have to take an action. You can't just sit there. 
You can't decide, well, I'm not going to accept Jesus because it is true. I got to, I got to take an action. I'm already a Christian. I can't just sit here. I've got to take action on what I know to be true. Let me show you a man with that kind of courage. Here's, I believe this is the first African-American astronaut at the space station. He uh, had to do battle with NASA before he went. Because he told them, he said, there's two non-negotiables. He said, my Bible goes and communion goes. Now think about that. Think about the courage. He's got the opportunity of a lifetime to go to space. And he said, unless I get my Bible and communion, I don't go. Does he make a statement? You see, the Bible is the most printed book in the history of the world. You knew that, right? It's the most burned book in the history of the world. The Bible is the most gifted book in the world. People giving it to other people. It's also the most banned book around the world. It's the most loved book around the world. It's the most hated book around the world. Isn't that interesting? A book that has no power and no meaning and it's all full of fairy tales. There's a whole lot of people afraid of the book that you and I love. Why? You, I mean, are you afraid of Cinderella? Do you take Cinderella out and burn her in the backyard because you're like, I, man, I can't let my kids get a hold of this. Why are they so afraid of the Bible? Because if the Bible's true, it changes everything. It's going to change everything about, or it should change everything about you and everything about me. To know that there's a God who loves me and wants me to know the truth and is willing to teach me the truth is an amazing thing. Let's pause for a moment. Let me show you. Let me show you a picture of your tears. This is, this is a very cool one here. When you and I cry... All right, and some of you are better at this than others. When you cry tears of grief, they put your tears under a microscope. This is what your tears look like. Tears of change. You're dealing with a, a, a job change or, or you're processing some new, new issues in your life. You're peeling an onion. Here's what your tears look like under a microscope. Mm -hmm. And when you're laughing... And you're brought to tears? This is what your tears look like chemically under a microscope. Isn't evolution fascinating? That it is so good that when you cry, evolution knows what kind of tears you're crying. You tell me that God didn't design us in an amazing fashion. Even our tears are chemically different depending on what's going on. See if you can find an evolutionist to explain that one. Run away from the bottle. Read to know the difference between evil and good. And then he says, rally to the flag. You'll see this phrase a lot in your Bible. It says, raise a banner. Raise a banner for the Lord. He said, a banner will be raised and people will come from all the nations. They will run. 
They will walk. Their sandals won't wear out. They will get there. He's talking about when Jesus comes to the earth, people will find God. They will find Jesus. They will come from everywhere, regardless of background, regardless of money, regardless of racial diversity. They will come to know Jesus Christ because they will all come to the same battle flag. Let me explain to you how this works. Here's a Civil War picture. Uh, it is the American flag, but they also would have had, in this group, they would have had a battalion flag. And let me tell you how it works. When you're, it's an honor to carry the flag, by the way. I know that's strange in our culture, but it was a great honor to carry the flag. And they would carry the battalion flag, and when the bombs started bursting and the guns are going and smoke is all over the battlefield, and you're trying to stay with your battalion and do what you're told to do, the only thing you have to rally around is the flag. Now, if you're on the other side, you have but one job. The number one target is the flag man. Because if you take out the flag man, you throw the whole group into confusion. They don't know where to go. They don't have a center. They don't have a direction. So they would shoot for the flag man and often would hit him. The most dangerous guy on the field was the guy carrying flag. Often going across the field, the flagman would be killed many times. And if you were standing next to the flagman, you would throw your gun down and you would pick up the colors and it was an honor for you to carry on even though now they're going to be shooting directly at you. God said, I'll hold the banner. The banner over us has a big sign on it. It says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's Jesus. It's his banner. And he said, at the end times, I will hold up a banner and people will quit worrying about who's in charge of what government and what's happening here and what's happening there. And we'll stop being concerned about anything except the expansion of the kingdom of God because we're in a battle to save souls and we will stay with the battle flag that Jesus has given us. Does that make sense to anybody? That's what we've been called to do, to rally to the flag. Nehemiah chapter 4. All right, here's a good one. When Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem from Persia, he went back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And don't get this idea that Jerusalem was a monster city because Jerusalem, the city that Nehemiah is going to rebuild, not much bigger than this building. But that's what they had at the time, okay? And Nehemiah built a wall. And while they were building the wall, Nehemiah said, we need to pray and we need to post a guard. You might notice how those two go together. Pray and post a guard. And he said, if anybody tries to attack, one of the guards who's got his sword and a trumpet will blow the trumpet and everybody should run to that spot of the wall because that's where we're being attacked. Let's do some more history, shall we? If you go with me to Israel in October... I'll show you that wall. Part of it's still standing. It's been 2,500 years. And the enemy said, you know what? If a fox were to jump up on that wall, it would collapse. It sort of looks that way even today. And most of it has fallen. But I can show you the exact wall that Nehemiah built. And Nehemiah said, guys, when there's trouble, 
What do we do? Do we fight each other? No. We rally together to the flag, to the sound of that trumpet. Let me finish with this story. A man was walking along the coast in North Carolina a couple weeks ago. And uh, he walked over top of a shipwreck from 1837, been exposed. Got a picture of it? We do. People have been walking over that shipwreck for almost 200 years. They didn't know it was there. It was the right rain. It was the right tide. It was the right time. Maybe it was all of those things, and that guy was there at just the right time before it got reburied. But there's a 200-year-old ship buried under the sand. I just want to ask this question as we finish. What's buried inside of you? Is it something bad that needs to be dealt with? Is it a repentance thing? Is it a celebrate recovery thing? Or do you have something good buried inside of you that you've buried down deep that you need to pull out and use it for the kingdom of God? But the one thing I know that Isaiah makes clear, if you're going to follow God, it's about action. So, Father, I pray today as we uh, move into the last three decades of this church and we worship together, that you would be glorified, Father, in all things. I don't know. I don't know who needs to hear this message, that somebody watching online, somebody in Palm Bay, somebody in the land. But my guess, based on statistics, probably one out of every three people that I'm speaking to right now needs some kind of help. May we reach out to you first, Jesus. Then may we reach to the church for support and strength and the courage to make the changes necessary. In Jesus' name, amen.